The following is a presentation of the Six Arrows Radio Network. Welcome to the Modern Christian Men Podcast with your host, Kale Nelson. Hey, welcome in to another episode of Modern Christian Men. Appreciate you being here, man. It's a lot of fun to create these programs, to connect with you, knowing that we're connecting with you. Thanks very much for the reviews on iTunes, as well as passing this thing around, sharing it on Facebook. That's a really big help, along with following us along on Twitter. We appreciate you being there. My name is Kale. I am a stay-at-home dad, been married for almost 19 years to the same lady, the first lady. And I've got five kids. I worked in FM radio for about a decade. I got out of that to more focus on my family. And here I am, podcasting. I do a couple different shows. This is my Christian men's program that I really enjoy doing. And I've got a great show for you this time. You know, kind of living the way my wife and I do with our kids. Uh, We're not big on TV. Tech is kind of out of the question because we live so far out in the country. So we have to find ways to kind of just kind of chill sometimes. Uh, We can't Netflix and chill, right? So we have to like DVD and chill. Uh, Maybe Blu-ray and chill, I guess we should say. So I I stumbled over a new film. It's a great one, and we're going to have the producer on with us today. His name is Thomas Purifoy, and Thomas is a filmmaker and educator. He's produced and written and directed numerous projects through his production company, Compass Cinema. Back in 2010, he started Compass Classroom to sell the company's educational products to churches and families all around the world. Thomas is a vet. He served us as a surface warfare officer in the U.S. Navy, working both with the U.S. Marines and the USS Gunston Hall, and the Navy SEALs in a special boat unit 20. Thomas graduated from Vanderbilt University, go SEC, with a degree in English and creative writing. He has written books on the parables as well as economics and the Bible. His new film is called Is Genesis History? Again, thank you, Thomas, for coming on. It's really great to have you here. I was looking over your bio, you know, and and all the great things th- that I see there. I mean, you've served the nation in the armed services, uh, in the Mar- in the Marines, in the Navy, or working with the Marines in the Navy. Uh, and then you, you, you come out of that and you move into uh, the real world. And years later, now you're a film producer making uh, apologetic-type films in an industry that is not very um, interested necessarily in what Jesus has to say in 2017. How do you go from being an armed serviceman into the Christian film industry? You know, I would say it's the providence of the Lord and probably quite mysterious at that. Um, I was always interested in film, really ever when I was in, in college and was a creative writing and English major, but really took all the film classes I could there, wanted to go on the writing side, but went to the Navy just to give myself some real life experience um, and and did that for four years. The Lord was gracious, um, expected to go, uh, try to go into Hollywood from there, um, had some connections out to, in L.A. and ended up as a missionary for a couple of years in France, ended up meeting my wife. She's not French, she's a teacher. We came back to Nashville um, and settled here because it was just a better fit with the family than going out to L.A. Uh, we had a very, very quickly had a family uh, get started. So the result was we were here and ended up going not doing anything with film, but went into marketing. And so I think that's the thing. The Lord sometimes takes us in very curious, circuitous routes um, to take us the direction he wants to take us. And I would say that that's a case in point. It, it, it was I was I wandered for at least a good 10, 15 years before I was able to start making longer form films. And I know that's not always encouraging to folks, but you kind of just kind of got to keep plodding along. So 
started a film company doing stuff probably about in 2005, but really we didn't get into film until 2007, and um, created a product that we sold, had the, 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 good, uh, the good fortune, shall we speak, to, to launch at the year of the recession. Mm. So that was not a great time. So we moved from there and tried to figure out how to scrape things together, and I think that's been a lot of what I'll tell people. We are not a success story. We are a survival story. Right. And so a lot of what it is, we're just kind of still plodding along with a couple guys that work here with me, and we're, we've kind of been at it for about almost a decade, it seems. And so this is this, this latest piece, just a blessing the Lord provided, kind of at the, at the um, with, without a lot of control on our part, let's put it that way. <laughs> Sometimes uh, you look at things going back, looking back 10 years, and you're like, wow, how did I get here? And you can, if you, if you pay attention, you can see the providential hand. Uh, setting those, opening those doors in front of you, setting the planks on the mud in front of you to step on. Uh, I've lived it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have lived it. And it, it always strikes me as when we're there, we never realize it. It's so hard to see sometimes. But then looking back, we can always see it. And what a blessing it is to know that he was, like he said, always there with us in every step and every breath. It's very true. Yeah. So wh- wh- when you uh, got in, you went to Vanderbilt College, by the way, and um, I'm, an yes. S- I'm an SEC fan, so I'm familiar. And uh, <laughs> Well, a- Vanderbilt was always good. We, well, at the time I was going, except other than basketball, they were pretty good. And may, uh, people are going to laugh at this, but they were good about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> uh, they've gotten much better since then. And I guess, but uh, yeah, in general, Vanderbilt's always been the one that we lose to South Carolina pretty consistently. So, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and now it seems that South Carolina seems to lose to most everybody pretty consistently. I hope we can turn that around. We'll have to see, but it's, it's neat to me to see that uh, here you are going to school to be, you know, writing and, and whatnot. And then the next thing you, you jump into the, to the Navy. I mean, that's kind of a, wow, how did he go from point A to point B? Was that a, just a call you said to, to receive some real-world real world experiences? If you want some, I mean, that's a definitive trial by fire right there. Well, the Navy, I was in Naval ROTC. They paid for my way at Vanderbilt, but we had the curious opportunity to not be, because of the, of the fall of the Berlin Wall and the drawdown of the military, we had the opportunity to get out. And they would kind of said you can walk away with your scholarship. <laughs> Um, but I decided I wanted to stay in, so I did a, a couple of years of the surface warfare. While well, I was a surface warfare officer the entire time, a couple of years of the fleet and an amphibious ship, that was where I worked with the Marines. Um, and as the Navy always does, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. So I, they, you know, they put me as an English major and as an engineer. So I was an engineer for a couple of years and then went and worked with the SEALs in a special boat unit. Um, which was, again, fun. It was a little bit of a Kale's Navy at times, I feel, but <laughs> it was a, a good experience, and I really enjoyed it. And I think it, what it did is the military teaches you pretty much how to manage things, and you know, if you're in trouble, how do you try to work your way out of it? So I think that's a lot of what it was, is just, just small, uh, small group management and leadership skills, and so that was a good good foundation for kind of anything and so but i felt it's important to go serve in the military and it's a you know it's a small way i served in the between anything so the guys i was kind of a nobody we i was after the gulf war and before the all the stuff after 9 11 and so those are the guys you, we kind of look at those and think well those are the guys that really served we were just there kind of you know on the treadmill biding our time for the real guys to come in and do the do the real work so but it's a it was fun to be in and a privilege well, either way, we definitively appreciate your service, and uh, know that those listening do as well. Um, were you uh, were you a Christian at that time? And if so, how did your faith kind of get you through some of the tougher times there in the military? Because I know that 
even though you weren't directly in battle and whatnot, it's still, you're not at home and you're dealing with people from all over the world. You know, um, I was a believer um, and became one um, early on, grew up in a Christian home and uh, knew the Lord during all that time. I think that there's a lot of them, I mean, if you folks who've been in the military know, there's a strong cadre of Christians in the military that um, really do kind of stick together. And I think that it's always, at least the time I was in, and again, now it's been 15, 20 years, but there was a good deal of respect um, for Christians to kind of be Christians. And um, even the the captain of my ship was a believer at one point, and executive officer was one. And so you, you find that you have, uh, it's actually an, an important, I think a backbone of our military in many ways has been the Christians that have served in it, who are usually very honorable uh, men and women that are um, kind of know how to, basically they, they have a higher calling and a higher things to answer to than just um, the Constitution. And so I think that's a big deal for the military. But I think that, that uh, all to say, how did it get through is that the military, especially in the Navy, you're on a ship, you got a lot of long hours at seas, a lot of time to read the Bible, a lot of time to study, a lot of time to pray. And in some cases, that was a valuable time because you, it, you just got a lot of alone time. Um, and that was at least my situation. So that was a real, I felt the Navy was a good opportunity to spend time with the Lord and just learn and read. And so I, that's a lot of what I did in those, those years. And, and now today as a dad, filmmaker, business owner, entrepreneur, um, do you still find that you have those times available to you or do you really struggle to make those times? I know personally I have a hard time sometimes, and I'm just a stay at home dad finding the time to sit down, do the reading, do the study, do the prayer. Uh, am I here by myself, or are you there with me? No, 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 no. We're we're in the same boat. I mean, this is the thing. I was talking to somebody. I'm, I'm 45 now, and I often, I don't know if you've seen the famous four pictures by Thomas Cole. I think it's the Seasons of Life, or the, I think that's what they're. They go through the four parts, and the, the third painting is where we are, which is you know this. It's the guy and he's in the rapids and the boat's all beat up and he's kind of at the bottom praying that the Lord would save him. You see the rapids get worse further on down. And so I think that, um, I was recently talked to some good friends of mine and was like, you, you don't live your life underwater. Do you like you you got everything figured out? And they were like, Nope, I come up for air as often as I can, but then I got to go back down under. So I think that we all are in a spot right now, especially when you get to the middle age that, you know, between your family, between your work, between all the things you do, you do not have the time and um, everything just takes it away. So I think that it's a challenge to find that time. But when I, you know, if you can, it, it is, it's, it's very refreshing. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's one of the things that, that I still, like I said, struggle with and, and hope that we can work through this thing together as a, a group of men going forward, raising our kids. You know, we're about the same age. I'm maybe a year or two younger than you. And, um, you know, facing the same things in life. Sometimes it just feels overwhelming and you're like, whoa, I can't do this. You know, this is too hard. It's too much. Being a man is too hard. Being a husband is too hard. Being a dad is too hard. And then we throw all the other pressures on top of us, like societal influences and whatnot. So I, I've just got to ask you, uh, I haven't I haven't had the opportunity to see your parable films, but I, I want I want you to tell us about that project, how that came about. And, and what you were interested in doing with that project regarding society? You know, my interest has always been kind of a worldview orientation. So the question is that how do we take um, what the Bible has you know, written down in some cases 2,000, in some cases 3,500 years ago, um, and say how does this eternal truth, how does it work, and how, what is the 
what is the relevance of it for today? Um, I don't always love that term relevance, but I think a lot of it's in sometimes just kind of a good way to approximate what was being said in terms that we understand. I mean, we, you know, that with Bible translation, you moving, translating up. And so in a sense, that parable project was a goal to translate, um, to try to maintain a certain uh, exegetical accuracy, but to, in a sense, find a video hermeneutic of these six parables. And so that was a fun project. It was a shame. A lot of us wished we could have been able to do more of those. Maybe we will someday. Uh, it's been 10 years now. But um, it was a way of saying, how do you take the elements that are um, cultural and social things that we all naturally have a gut reaction to and then translate, knowing that back then, so for instance, everyone often knows with this good Samaritan, you know, what does it mean that the guy was a Samaritan? Well, most people, you know, he was a half-breed. It meant he had a syncretistic religion that was false, as Jesus himself said, that they had been fighting against the Jews and, in fact, had, you know, killed a lot. They, I mean, there were, there were some real realistic run-ins between them, and the, and the Jews had good reason not to like the Samaritans. They hated them. The Samaritans had good reason not to like the Jews. And so the question is, well, what is a Samaritan today? Well, in many cases, I, mean, I would say that's a Muslim. So what if you put a Muslim in that role? Um, you know, a, a Muslim is, they, they are following a false religion. It's a little way syncretistic with Christianity. They borrowed from Christianity. Um, they are, in many cases, have warred against us and killed Christians. And, um, and I think that in that case, so we made, and it's kind of curious, we did this in 2007, but we made them, you know, the Samaritan was a Muslim. And um, not necessarily, you know, a, a practicing Muslim, but clearly from that background. Right. And um, I think those are the issues is it's the sort of thing that kind of grabs you in your stomach and say, ooh, okay, now what is that? But when you do the exegesis of the original scripture and the original parables, you realize that Jesus had very, very cleverly structured these to create a what I would call a spiritual emotional response. And that's what we were trying to do with these parables. And so I think in the Lord's grace, we were I feel like we were fairly successful in a number of them to translate them in. I mean, in fact, a lot of them are still online. People can watch them for free on our website, a lot of them. Um, but um, I feel that from the responses we've gotten back that we actually were able to do that. And so that was kind of a neat project. You wish you could do more, but that was um, a way of, in a sense, incorporating a biblical worldview into the media in which we, we work. And that's one of the things that, that, that really kind of, that my family kind of revolves around. We're not a big television family. We don't have satellite cable. We virtually don't even watch television unless it's Andy Griffith or NFL on Sunday afternoon when it comes back on. So maybe some college ball. But uh, and the reason we're we're re, the reason we're that weird is just we don't want to see it. We don't want our kids to see it. I mean, of course we're in it, not of it. But you know, why go there if you don't have to go there? So these you know alternatives and taking what uh, the world and our enemy uses for his glory and turning it around and using it to share Christ is something that my family's always interested in. And uh, we always get uh, a lot of joy and we, we enjoy spending time together, learning together. And that's normally what we try to do with television, which uh, was really cool for us a few weeks ago when we got the DVD of your latest film is Genesis History. And, and I've got to tell you, we sat down and I've got five from 14 to five and a half years old. Everyone stayed awake the entire time. It was a fabulous film. It, the, the visuals were stunning. 
and everyone paid attention. And even the next day during our prayer and reading time, we were still conversating about the film that we had watched the night before, and it's still come up in conversation since then. So uh, thank you for creating things like that, that my family and other families like mine can can take in and enjoy, whether at the theater or at home. And uh, it, it's been a really cool experience to, to because of the conversations it started with my kids about uh, the realities of Genesis and the reality that is history. Well, you kind of say so. I mean, it's uh, you guys have smart kids because I mean, there's a lot of PhDs. We put this thing together, and I, we all, everyone likes to say that they know their children. They know all the good points. They know all the bad points about them. And in a sense, a film's the same way. I know that my uh, it's something I know very well. The good points that we've got a lot of great scientists that are talking a lot. One of the challenges is that it's a 13 PhDs. It's a bunch of talking heads. And so we, and they were hard, could not figure out better ways just to get past it because the information is dense. And that, to be quite honest, is a highlight reel. We've got a lot more coming, but that's, it's, it's just, it's just, and that's complex and we didn't go very deep, but yeah, no, it was a real, it's a pleasure to be able to do it. And I think that's the thing is that, um, I think it's a challenge back to your first comment about Christian parents and media as someone that, um, as someone that makes media, I have a pretty strong understanding of how it works, and it, it kind of reminds me of that conversation I think Steve Jobs had with someone asking about the iPad, and he said, this guy was like, yeah, all my kids have iPads, and don't your kids love it? And Jobs looked at me and said, none of my kids have iPads. That was never designed for kids. Um, and the guy was kind of stunned, and you realize that a lot of the folks that are actually making a lot of these devices do not let their children have them. Right. And I think that that's a, uh, in the same way, I think that film and video, one has to be very careful what one exposes your children to. It's not always in a matter of, like you said, just kind of, okay, kind of intellectually engage. It's like, okay, this is not useful. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I have laughed. I feel like we brought our children up in the 30s, 40s, and 50s because those are the <laughs> films they mainly watch. Yeah, uh, they watch a lot of them, but they, but they, they. My daughter knows more about movies than I do um, from some of those eras. But, um, but that said, I think that as a as a filmmaker, it was a pleasure to do this film only because it was a different type of film and had not been done before. Um, and a lot of the folks we worked with, like no one's ever tried to tackle this topic in this format, and so. I think the Lord was extremely gracious in allowing us to interview such great men. Um, he was extremely gracious to let us find all these locations and pull all this together. And I mean, in a film is in many ways, it's hard to pull all these pieces together. And so the providence of the Lord, you can very much see step by step. And so I, you kind of stand at the end of it and it's like, okay, I guess we pulled this off, but I don't know how we did it. Um, and in the same way, I think that, that, it, that it has resonated with a lot of people, I think is a lot to do with the content um, because I think that the word of God is in, it, it's got some interesting stuff in it that people are just in some cases are less aware of, uh, what, what the world around them and how these two things, um, intersect. And so in that case, I'm glad that, that it has been, has resonated and I hope, you know, kind of encourages more and more Christians to dig into these topics a little deeper. I, I'm a six day guy, right? I mean, I believe it in this. That's okay if someone listening doesn't agree. I'm not trying to start a you know theological argument here, but the film really brought a lot of uh, a lot of further truth to me and the realities of a uh, a flood and the reality of the the runoff the, the going back and forth to the Grand Canyon. I've been there once with my wife. It was the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced uh, here on Earth. Of course, I haven't been to Hawaii. She tells me it's better, but I don't know. <laughs> She's been there. I haven't. Uh, that was before Kale. So. Um, Going out there and seeing that and, and then coming back in, you know, 15, 20 years later 
kind of getting further into the Bible, enjoying studying the Bible, enjoying the the understanding of the fact that Scripture, to me, is what it says it is, it is. And looking at that, uh, Genesis chapter 1 through 11, uh, there, there's so much, there's such a there's such a pull on that, it seems nowadays, with the, the whole creation versus evolution thing, which has been going on for years and years. But as a dad, I'm trying to teach my children the absolute truth. So we teach from the Bible. And looking at the arguments that some of the churches have with the actual scriptures, it's just led me to question, uh, and this may be something you've never considered, so if you haven't, I won't be offended, but it seems to me that the church argues about two major points, and those two points appear to be Genesis, the first you know quarter of Genesis there, and then on over to Acts chapter 2. And, and both of those deal with a miraculous hand of God movement. And here we are 6,000 plus years later arguing about one and still arguing about one, you know, 2,500 years ago. So those have some common themes between them, the, the Acts chapter 2 with the birth of the new church and Genesis 1 with the birth of humanity. How can you try to explain to someone uh, as a dad, as a filmmaker, and with this project, the, the realities of what you've come to discover is truth for yourself regarding the creation as it is written in Genesis? Well, I, I think that it's an interesting point. I have not heard about the Acts 2 looked at that way. I think that's a good point. Um, what I have seen are, are, are two points. I just wrote a post on this, and I think that if I if the con- if my film is going to do anything, I want it to contribute in this way, is that the discussion in Genesis, um, in a way you can apply it to Acts 2, but in Genesis it is always hinged on this question of science, um, meaning that our interpretation of the world around us um, is leading us to think that these events did not happen as they are recorded here. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one has often been, well, we're going to discuss this philosophically, um, and say, well, you know, the intelligent design movement, that's a much more philosophically driven. Can we philosophically see design in things? And that, that's really what the argument is. I looked at both these and found that both of these were wanting in the way the biblical, the way the Bible presents things. And so my interest was really to look at things from the perspective of history and say, is the Bible giving us accurate statements of what happened in time? And so in that case, that's why Acts is quite useful. If you look at the majority of the Bible, um, it's really a narrative of what happened in time, and it's kind of a straightforward way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a simple way, um, but it's kind of a way that most people can understand by looking at it and taking it for what it says. So when that happens, though, it creates problems. Just look at the Gospels. If you're going to say that it's history, well, then you got to accept that water was turned to wine. you got to accept blind people suddenly could see. Mm-hmm. doesn't explain how, but it just is as if someone was standing there. They saw the guy not able to see, and then they see him you know, after Jesus rubs mud on his eyes or however Jesus chose to heal him. He can see. And so I think the idea of the historicity of Scripture is very important in that it's historicity that is um, – described by certain words that we all know. So in this case, let's talk about the flood. It talks about a global flood. It's real hard to get around from that, whether it's statements by Peter, whether it's statements by Jesus, whether it's statements in the text itself of killing all the animals and flooding all the world. Now, we don't know how necessarily. That's what some of these creation scientists have ideas about, and some may be right, more right, some may be more wrong. It's that science, I realized, was man's attempt to understand the natural world 
And although it, we can do have done well in it, even things that we think we're absolutely certain about, there are certain things that have changed. And then when you begin to apply that to history, so that you can't do an experiment on the past, you don't that that that, that is a totally different approach to science. And so. It is a form of historical science, but it needs to kind of understand what it is. And so a lot of things get jumbled together in the word science that you got to kind of tease out. And so my approach has been privately to say that the Bible presents an accurate view of history. And when you look at the world around it from that perspective of Genesis, it's not unreasonable to think that the world also supports that. Mm-hmm. and um, that it's not an unscientific way of looking at the world. And so I think that was, though, but we start with history, and I think that's the important thing. You look at Acts 2, you start with history. There really was a Pentecost. There really was um, the ability for all these people to hear in their own language um, the, uh, the, God, the apostles talking at this. I mean, it's the reverse of Babel. That's the whole point. And you go look at Genesis 1 through 11, from six-day creation all the way to a real Adam and Eve to a global flood to a real Babel, all seems like history, and it seems like a pretty reasonable thing to accept it as such. Yeah, yeah, and, and you get people that say, well, you know, I can believe in the donkey speaking uh, to Balaam, but, but I, you know, I'm having a trouble understanding how this happened in six days. You know, <laughs> but, but you can well, believe a donkey can talk, right. you know. <laughs> Well, and I think that the important thing that a lot of Christians forget is that if it did not happen in six days, and the question is that, well, okay, if this isn't an accurate view in terms of a duration, so what does history deal with? It deals with duration, it deals with events, it deals with people, it deals with time. So if it, if Genesis 1 is not an accurate duration in events and time in terms of being, okay, you got 24 hours or a normal day, and this is what happens during that normal day, well, then what happened? And this is why we often talk about there's really just two views of history. Most Christians don't realize is that if you reject Genesis as a, you know, a fairly accurate literal view of history, well, you've got to replace it with something. Right. And if you're replacing it with 13.8 billion years, and that's a, that's a lot of years, well, that's a lot of different events that have to be inserted in that. And that is what begins to then pull on everything else. So when you start doing that, that creates all sorts of problems, whether it's, okay, well, where did all these animals come from that are in the fossil layers? Well, was it evolution or was it progressive creation events? And I think that's the thing that most Christians, they kind of just say, well, you know, it's an old earth. They don't realize that when you change time, you change events. And um, that means that the Bible, which is all about recording events, suddenly you got to start changing how you interpret those events. And it's just a ripple effect. That when you start from Genesis one, changing your view of history, it changes the entire Bible. When when we have our kids coming up and and they're learning things that aren't necessarily conductive to what the scriptures teach in public institutions, whether it be elementary, you know, higher learning or whatnot, and, and we, then we have uh, these children and young adults coming out of school and and expecting a job and a future, and we look back and we see. Uh, what they've learned have been Bible stories, maybe what some would consider Bible stories, not necessarily biblical truths, uh, flannel board presentations. Probably you and I can relate to those from back in the day. But, uh, you know, when when we look and now we see these these kids coming out of the institution and they are not uh, sticking with the church. They don't understand why they need to go, why to be involved, you know, a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, my grandma did that kind of a thing. Uh, can can we look back on the 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 loss of an understanding of a Genesis creation and kind of 
slide some of the responsibility for where we're at as a church over to that, saying that, well, it might or might not have happened instead of giving them a definitive truth to stand on. I mean, we tell them that Jesus saves, that, that he'll forgive their sins, they can live eternally. Jesus rose, he was born from a virgin, all those truths that we you know hold self-evident. Uh, but, but we can't, sometimes a church can't really get down to the dirt of, yeah, Genesis is real. Is that harming our children? As a dad, I, I, I mean, I have a, an opinion. I'd like to hear yours. Well, I think it is, and I, I think it actually it's interesting. I think that the deeper issue is that this view that children's Bibles, and that sounds strange, but the illustrated Bibles, this felt board story that we all do, the tendency to put things in those categories has a tendency to make it seem fictional. Mm. And the fact that we're simplifying and that we say these are stories, well, that's fine, but I know what a story is. Story is what, you know, King Arthur did, and a story is what, you know, happening with dragons and knights or a story is what Star Wars, any number of things, these are stories. So I think that we need to say, no, 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 this is history. And, you know, Abraham probably sweated a lot, you know, <laughs> and probably sweated a lot when he went off to go kill his son. And when God spoke to him, this was a real time event. So I think that the real big, the issue that I feel like is that the church in trying to embrace, to teach people things and simplify has in many cases gotten away from the, the, the basic fact that it's just a history book. And as a result, Genesis is where that starts, a problem with history. But I mean, this was the Enlightenment goal. We want to basically un, uh, say that a lot of the things are stories, the idea of the crossing of the Red Sea, the idea of, you know, axe head floating, any number of things are nice stories. And that's the, in many cases, was a, another way of attacking the church. And so, I feel like that the, the responsibility we have as fathers is to be able to teach our children the Bible as the Bible, as a book of real history, of real people. And this is what Hebrews one or Hebrews 11 says. He just goes through all these men's lives and says, look, these were people in history that God was interacting with, and they had faith, and they were looking for you know the city whose, you know, whose foundations are in, are in heaven, they're not on earth, but they were real. And you're part of that line. And I think that we as men are called to really establish that we are just the latest in this, in this, this long line of witnesses to the truth. And it's why the Apostles' Creed is really just the listing of history, historic statements. You know, look at it. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, you know, and His Son. And He goes through, you know, born of a virgin, died under Pontius Pilate, rose again. I believe in the church. Um, that's the thing is that all these things, what you're really saying is not that faith is something that is based in, and this is, was a move, you know, whether it's existential, Kierkegaardian, you know, we're going to do a, a leap of faith and it's not really real because the, they were concerned that these weren't historic. And that's what you think the Germans did this. German higher critics and English higher critics went after the history, hmm. not really history, not really accurate. Well, unless we realize that our faith is really just founded on a real man that you know, sweated and went to the bathroom and ate and probably had indigestion at times and, you know, was an incredible teacher that we could have sat and listened to and watched and healed real people. This is all John says at the end of his gospel. We saw it. I was there. Peter says, I saw it on the mountain. Um, that's all that we really believe is pretty mundane with pretty extraordinary consequences. I think when we get away from the mundaneness of it, we put it into a category that's not really real, like, quote, theological, which is, what does that mean? It means nothing. Yeah. That's uh, what it means. You got to start with history. And, and knowing that those men who we, we pile up as, you know, the pillars of the church, 
uh, I think that's lost. And, and I, <laughs> I think in some cases, media has helped us forget some of that because no one goes to the restroom in a movie. No one you know, get sick to their stomach in a film. You know, it's always just the grand things of the story. And, when, right. you know, when we, when you read about Jesus there, he got mad in the temple. You know, he was mad enough that he sat down, the Bible says, and made his own rope, made his own whip out of ropes. I mean, you've got to be pretty determined to sit down in, in the midst of all that chaos and, and then build something and then use it against the people who were there offending you. I mean, that it's not just like you walked in like, Harrison Ford in the Indiana Jones films and pulled it off his hip, you know. I mean, he he was offended enough that he sat down and created something to clear the area with. That's that's real. That's absolutely real. Um, that's absolutely real. And I think that's just the thing is that as we are looking at the Bible, we have to realize that our faith is as real as theirs was, and that's how God is transforming His church through men and their children and their wives and their family is in a fairly mundane day-to-day way. And I think that when we lose sight of this, that these Abraham was not, I mean, he was a pillar of the faith, but it wasn't because he was anybody special. And I think that's important to remember is that you start looking at these men, you're like, they kind of lived a lot like I do. Yeah. Um, they kind of lied and they kind of got scared and they would not always do the right thing. And I mean, you look at the three greatest men in the Old Testament, they all had women issues, you know, Samson, the strongest, David, the most powerful and Solomon, the wisest. So I don't think anything's really new in terms of what we face. I think that we need to really look at the Bible and say, well, this has all been done before. How do we learn from it? And the Bible tells us clearly nothing's new under the sun. It's all been, like you said, it's all been done before. Uh, just because we aren't a king of a nation or we're not a Schwarzenegger-esque build, uh, it doesn't, ma- doesn't mean that God didn't give us a masculinity, give us a desire to be a leader of our household, to be the father of our children, the, wife, the husband that our wives uh, deserve, and the leader of our community, our church, our church body. Of course, that starts at home. Um, there's, there's so many guys out there that are just struggling because we're so pulled in so many different directions. Even as a stay at home, dad, homeschools, kids, I don't have a job to go to every day necessarily. Uh, but here I am, I'm still pulled in all these different directions. My wife needs this. My children need that. My friends want this. uh, My, my ministry needs that. My podcast needs this, all these different things. Uh, what are some ways that you kind of keep yourself grounded uh, regarding being pulled in so many different directions. And, you know, it's like you're out making film, you're not at home all the time. So how do you really stay grounded so your kids know what their place is because their daddy knows what their place is? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't think I'm very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Moses Moses said he couldn't talk, and, you know, so he had to have Aaron come. But he, and, you know, Abraham's like, nah, you must be talking to somebody else. And nobody thinks that we're doing anything of value. But, uh, I mean, you're there in the trenches. You're a dad. You've got kids. You've got a wife. Uh, you're a businessman. Uh, you're impacting the world with your films. Uh, so you're doing something to be able to kind of put that back in your family. Well, I mean, honestly, I think. You know, I just canceled. Uh, I was supposed to go out with a buddy the other night this week, and I realized I had not had a date with my oldest daughter, and so I canceled to go do that. I think a lot of us just have to pick up the bits and pieces we can, and you keep saying, okay, well, okay, I didn't do this right yesterday. At least I can address that today. Um, I think that the the handful of things, it's funny, my dad, 
was a good is a good man. And uh, before my mom died a number of years ago, he had talked to the friend at church they went to. He's often was um, concerned about you know how do you how do you you know raise your family with your wife? And he talked to an old guy that was in his eighties, whom he respected and a very successful family and ministry and kind of you know look good on paper. And he asked him. He said, "So what? Um, what's the secret?" And the guy said, "Well, you got to stay in the Word and you got to pray with your wife." Wow. <laughs> and he was like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Yeah, that's, that's hard enough, but that's it." And I think <laughs> if we. I mean, I know I don't do that consistently enough. And I would add a third thing, and you know, and teach the children to your teach your the Bible to your children when you're at the table and sitting down and talking to them. Right. And so um, I think those are the, the three things, you know, we got to stay in the word and in any way we can, you got to read the Bible every day and be looking at it and studying about it. And then you got to probably pray and pray with your wife, which is even kind of a harder one. Um, I mean, I find it easier to pray by myself than pray with my wife consistently. And then I think we need to be talking to our kids around the dinner table um, about the Bible. And if you're just reading a chapter a day and moving through it, I think it's getting into the Bible and talking about it and presenting it to your children. I think that's vital. And I think those are the three things that I know I'm better or worse at some of those, but I feel like those are the vital things men need to be doing. And if they're, if they're missing any one of those, then it's going to show up. It's a three-legged stool and it's going to, something's going to tumble. If you're not praying with your wife, there's probably some issue. If you're not teaching your kids the Bible at the table or some way, reading the consistently reading the Bible with them, they're going to know that that's not a big deal for you. Right. And so those are the things that I think that are really we've got to go back to is kind of how do we go back and plug plug in? You go to those three things. Excellent points and, and quite a challenge. It's funny you mentioned praying with your wife. I've been married almost 19 years and uh, married a good, good God-filled woman. I mean, just I couldn't have asked and I didn't deserve what I wound up with. I don't know that she did either, but uh, that's one of the things that's always been a challenge. You know, I, we, we pray together as a family, you know, the kids and I and her, we, we, we do our Bible reading every night before bed. We did the discussion. We pray. We pray for people. We believe. Uh, but, but you know, just finding that time to say, I'm going to sit here with you and we're going to, you and I are going to do this together. I don't know why, but I've, I've never heard another man admit that that was an issue or at least maybe not an issue, but something that they needed to work on further. But thank you for that, because you just challenged me to be better and to do more. So I hope that it does the same for those listening, because we are, and we've said it before on the show, we are a, a, cord, a cord of three strands, and uh, we, we can't just be me and Jesus. It's got to be me, her, and Jesus to, uh, to really fulfill where we've been called to go. Oh, no, I think it's a hard thing. I mean, I think it, it, you, you don't figure it out. It's funny how Del Tackett, who who was a really what what a privilege to spend so much time I did with Doctor Tackett, just a godly man. But he would often, and humble and wise, and one of the things he would often say about children is, "Well, you don't really know how to raise kids until you've had them, and, and then suddenly you're oh god, I think I figured this out, uh, and they're all gone." And I think it's the same way with your wife. You're kind of you know you move down the path. You're like, well, gosh, how the heck did I get to this spot? And I'm not doing this, and so I can. I can quote this guy and say, well, that's what I should be doing, but I know I'm not like I should be. And I think that's the thing is it wasn't, it's not until you get to be in your 30, 40 years, you're like, well, maybe I figured out how to do this and then it's, then it's done. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I think that the, the more we can take you know little steps every day and hope, okay, well, I didn't do it yesterday, but can I do it today? Right. Uh, that, that's probably all we've got. Yeah. Yeah. And you're exactly right. I tell you, it's, it's, it's so 
I t- I've told my wife so many times, it, sometimes it just sucks to be a dude. You know, it just, it's, it's almost too hard sometimes. And I'm not whining when I say that. It's just, I don't know what it's like to be a woman, to carry a child, to, to go through the monthly thing, to be a mother, to nurse a child. You know, I, my wife is the breadwinner of the house, and I haven't done that in 13 years. So it's been different along the way. But at the same time, I know that at the end, it's all me. It's all on Kel's shoulders for the legacy that goes forth. So uh, it's good to hear those encouraging words and to know that Kel's not the only one that feels like sometimes he's really not up to where he needs to be, even as he's on this program trying to encourage other men to get to the same point. So thank you for that encouragement and the challenge. I'm going to take it and, and see if I can make some make some headway in it. Well, I need to challenge myself, physician, heal myself. So Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about your film. We want to know how to get to see it. I know that it's been in theaters. It was really successful when you had it in theaters. I think you showed it uh, three different times. It's on Amazon, iTunes, uh, DVD, Blu-ray. It's a marvelous film. It's very encouraging. I want to encourage the guys, if you've got family, to set them down, put the phones away, cut the uh, notifications off, and take this thing. And it's like a it's like a good bowl of soup, and you have to get to the bottom and sop it up with the bread. That's exactly what this film is. How can we uh, get connected with your film so that our families can learn more about the history of Genesis and how to take that history and encourage our children in the truth? Well, I mean, the easiest way probably is you go to our website is genesishistory.com and we've got links to all the different places to buy it, whether you want to get it, you know, buy a video on demand or Blu-ray or DVD or, 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 or however. It's now on Netflix, which is, is convenient for a lot of people. Um, we also have on our website a lot of additional resources, some family questions, um, a little family sheet, and a bunch of other additional videos and little Bible study stuff that may be helpful. We're going to need to make more of that, but there's just some just some questions and discussion points because, I mean, the, to be honest, this is a controversial topic, and it's understandable why it's controversial. It's controversial in the church. Um, there are a lot of folks that are going to think of a variety of views um, on this, but to me, I think it's important that the church talk about it, that we can't, as one pastor friend of mine said, he sensed that there was an agnosticism, that we could say, well, you know, we all believe different things, so, well, I guess we're not going to talk about it. The problem is that when you do that with Genesis, that basically all the key passages on um, marriage, on sexuality, on uh, children, on sin, on the fall, it's all there on judgment. Um, I mean, even the issues of the rainbow. I mean, this is the thing. I think Christians think that the rainbow has been given over to homosexuality, you know, the LGBT. The irony is that the rainbow, if you look biblically, is the picture of judgment and grace. Right. And so as these folks wave this flag, in a sense, they're saying, oh, yeah, God judged the world once and only the believers were saved. But I'm going to I'm going to kind of tell everybody that he's going to judge the world again. <laughs> and so in a sense, when Christians see a rainbow, they should think, hmm, this person does not realize that they are invoking the his, God's historic global judgment over sin. Well, if you're an old earth creationist, you can't say that. Right. That's what's curious. You can't actually say that God judged the entire world in the, in the biblical sense, meaning that like all the animals and everything and all the things were, were killed at one time um, because that's not how it works. And so I think that it's really important that Christians grapple that the history in the Bible has consequences for us today. And that it's important to dig in to understand the details of that the history and theology are related. And that you start messing with the history, it's going to change your view of theology and God. 
Yeah, yeah. And the thing about it is, folks, it's right there. It's the you open your Bible. It's the first book, and uh, read it. Read it as reality. Read it as real, and you will see. Thank goodness for Jesus and His salvation and God's grace that He shares to us every day. And uh, thank you for taking the opportunity to gather those men and and to be able to present Genesis as history and challenge us and at the same time encourage us to know that uh, just because something is labeled as science doesn't necessarily mean that it is or isn't. But the fact of the matter is, is that God made this and he gave us his word for our understanding. And uh, you brought that word to life with your film. And, and I'm just I, I'm just enamored by it. It was a great film. I can't wait to watch it again with the kids. Thank you very much for doing that for us. Well, it was a, a privilege to be able to do so. And the Lord was gracious. Thank you. Absolutely. Another great program here on Modern Christian Men. Again, a very special thank you to Thomas for coming on with us, chatting about all things is Genesis history. Kel believes it is. And hey, you want to talk about it? Catch up with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all those places. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget, we have a website, modernchristianmen.com. It has all the show notes that we've discussed in this program listed there, as well as our past shows and guests. Hey, uh, again, thank you for your reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much for sharing the program. It takes a lot to get these things rolling. And you getting out there telling your buddies about what we're talking about here on Modern Christian Men is a huge help. Man, I'll be praying for you this week again. I know it's tough, and, and I'm right there with you. So keep the faith. We'll see you next time. God bless you, man. See you. Thank you for listening to the Modern Christian Men podcast. You can find us online at modernchristianmen.com.